Miss the kids at Kids Church right now, but I want to pray first. Father, I just thank you for who you are. We thank you that when we hunger and we thirst, Lord, that you are where we find our satisfaction. You are where we find the only place to quench that hunger, to quench that thirst, God. I pray that as uh, we get into your word this morning, that you would just reveal to us truth of who you are, God, that we'd be drawn by your voice, by your word. Lord, as the kids go to kids' church, that you would speak to their teachers, that their teachers would just reveal you in such a clear way that they would understand the power of your gospel. God, we thank you for all the things you're doing within this body. We pray that you would continually be head of what we are. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys uh, have kids, you're more than welcome to bring them to Kids Church at this time. Um, if you want to know what's happening in the church, you can check it out in the bulletin. And if you don't have kids, just stand with us and we're going to continue to worship. Thanks for being here.
We are the church. We are the church. We are the church. We are the church. We are God's chosen people. A people set apart to live holy and blameless through Jesus Christ. We are his royal priesthood. We are ministers of mercy. Who live to intercede on behalf of Christ to the world. We are God's holy nation. A people for his own possession. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him. Who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God dwells within us. We are the pillar and foundation of truth. We live to proclaim the truth of the gospel to a lost and broken world. That the children of God. We love our Father and each other. As brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the flock. A people who hear and follow our shepherd's voice. In joyful obedience. We, we are, are the, the body of Christ. We exist as one body together. Interdependent upon each other. Under Christ as our head. We are the bride of Christ. A people who are passionately and wholeheartedly in love with our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We are the church. 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 Happy to be with you guys this morning. Had a few weeks off. Me and Lauren went to Boston, uh, went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and I spent a few days down there doing some sermon training. So today's sermon's going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Totally a joke. It's not going to be awesome. I'm joking again. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Friends Church. Uh, man, we've been in this identity series for a while, but I have been so blessed by it. Um, just with really digging into who has God called us to be and what that means for our sake and for His glory. Um, today we're going to be talking about what it means to be the flock. And the flock to me is sort of like the children of God was to me when I started prepping for that. It's just like 
this is just another name we use. It's sort of like just this illustration of saying, okay, we're sheep, he's a shepherd. But man, there's so much in this. The problem that we have is that we live in the 21st century and most of us in this room are not uh, shepherds in the physical sense. You do not have a flock of sheep at your house you go back to. So we lose a lot of the meaning, but we're going to be digging into that a little bit today, uh, what it means to be a shepherd and what it means to be God's flock. Um, And I think he has some awesome stuff that he's going to be telling us through his words. So before we get started, I just want to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to take our tithe and offering. If you're visiting with us, just pass on this. This this is just a sign of our worship. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing in the midst of this body, in the midst of this flock, Lord, that we're a part of. And Lord, I pray that as uh, we get into your word this morning, that you would be revealed Lord, that we would hear your word clearly calling us towards you. God, that it would divide and that it would separate and that it would pierce our hearts, Lord, and draw us to truth. God, we thank you for all the people that give their time and their money and their blood, sweat, and tears into the ministry you've called us to here at Friends. Lord, I pray that uh, you would be glorified as we give, Lord, that you'd be lifted up. We'd be good stewards with everything that you've trusted us with. God, that in all things that you would be head over our finances, head over everything we do from the structures to the programs to Sunday mornings to the weeks and the small groups. God, just be glorified in this place. Take control. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, so up to this point, this is going to be a little bit interesting morning for me at least. I mean, uh, I've always preached within the context of a lot of different verses, um, mostly because m- the majority of what we've been doing is doctrinal stuff. Uh, what does it mean identity-wise? Topical, but in a sense really founded in the scriptures. Um, but today we're going to be just hitting w- uh, two chapters, one chapter really, of scripture. So if you have your Bible with you today, open it up to John 10. I left my Bible at home. And my lovely sister-in-law brought it to me. I felt like in the first service I had my pants off during the service. It was just like, without this thing, these are all of my notes for today's sermon. These, and I was lost, so I'm grateful to have this with me. Um, but we're going to be in John 9 and we're going to be in John 10. If there's one clear place of what it means to be the flock and what it means to be uh, a shepherd and, and the pictures that Jesus is illustrating in the Bible when he's calling us into being his flock... I think the clearest place would be John 10. Um, So let's read this together, and then we're going to talk about it a bit. For all of you over the age of 25 or 30, this is a test to see if you need to go see an eye doctor. Um, I actually had to read that because I didn't have my Bible the first service, but I get to read it in here, so good luck on that. So this is John 10. If you want to follow along, we're going to be reading the first 21 verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not know and they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, them being the Pharisees, we'll see that in a minute. 
but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And there was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, and he is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? Now, I sent that email out to, well, it sent out to 2,300 people. I was like, that's a lot of people on that mailing list. Um, But I wanted you guys to get a chance to really dive into this. Who actually went into their Bible and read John 9 and 10? Okay, a few of you. Awesome. That's a good thing. Because we're not going to be able to really dive into John 9, but we have to go there to understand what's happening in John 10. This chapter rests in the context, rests in the conflict that takes place and begins in the, in the chapter before. And to see this in the clearest point, uh, John gives us something at the end here. Uh, in uh, verse 19, he talks about a division that was among the Jews. And then the last verse he says is, This is not the works of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? What John is doing there is he's, he's capping a story. He's saying... This is included with this. And where this begins is in the beginning of chapter 9. So if we're going to understand at all what Jesus is talking about in 10, we have to begin in 9. Okay? So let's go over 9 really quick, and then we'll dive into what it means that Jesus is a shepherd. And what is happening in chapter 9 is Jesus has just been kicked out of the temple because uh, he said he was greater than Abraham and before Abraham and the Pharisees were not having it, so they almost tried to stone him. Well, they tried to stone him, but he was a ninja. So in 9, he's passing by and he sees a man who's blind since birth. And the disciples ask a question to him because there was something that was happening in that day where people thought that if you were born with a, uh, with a sickness or, or uh, impurity, that, that it's because of your sin. And Jesus makes a really cool, important statement for us today. Um, especially with this boy, he says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he says, I'm the light of the world. And he spits in the dirt and he picks up the mud and he kneads it in his hand and he puts it in the young man's eyes and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the boy goes and he 
and he washes and he comes back and he's healed. He sees. And so what takes place, that's the end of the healing. In my Bible, it says Jesus heals a man born blind. But there's way more going on than just Jesus heals a man born blind because in the first seven verses, we're done with the miracle. So what takes place in the next 34? A conflict. Why is there a conflict? Because Jesus wants there to be a conflict. How do I know this? Because when he walked by this man that was born blind, it's the Sabbath. It's pharmaceutical law that you don't heal or or deal with anybody that has a sickness unless it's life-threatening on the Sabbath. It's against the law. There's 39 things which they say you are not allowed to do on the Sabbath. One of them being don't mess with sicknesses on the Sabbath. Another one being you're not allowed to make mud. You're not allowed to knead dough. The same word for dough in the Greek is the same word for mud. So what Jesus is literally saying is, I'm going to make some dough. Spits in the ground and he makes some dough. You're not allowed to paint faces on the Sabbath. So what does he do? He takes the mud and he smears it on the man's face. He's not just breaking the Sabbath laws according to the Pharisees. He is crushing them. Another point being, we don't really know how far the pool of Siloam is, but you're not allowed to walk a certain distance, past a certain distance on the Sabbath. And he says, go down to that pool down there and come back. It was probably too far to to travel. I mean, there's just so many things we can't really get into. One day I'll preach on this chapter. But the point is, is there's a conflict that happens. So the man comes back and he is, uh, he's healed and he goes into his, town and people were like who is this guy he's all happy and go lucky and he's saying he's this blind beggar dude they don't really know that it's him they don't recognize him because he's very very happy and he says no it's me there was a man named jesus who put mud on my eyes and he said go wash in the pool and i went and when i came back i could see so they were like man we got to bring this guy to the pharisees so they go to the pharisees and uh the pharisees uh ask him how were your eyes opened? And the, and the man says to him, the man named Jesus anointed my eyes and said, go wash. And I washed and I can see. I can, I can see. So what the Pharisees say at this point is this man is not of God. Why? Because he's broken our law. All they're looking at this point is just this, this set of rules, this legalistic empire that Judaism has become and all they see is Jesus is he's not of God and so then that starts to just go in two different directions there's the vision that happens right here the young boy who was born blind his first words about Jesus is he's a man the Pharisees are he's not of God and then they ask him who do you say that this Jesus is and the boy goes he's a prophet it's building. He's a man, now he's a prophet. And so then they ask uh, the boy's parents to come back because they're like, he wasn't born blind. There's no way he was born blind. Nobody in the Bible has been healed of blindness from birth. It's not heard of anywhere in Scripture. But the parents are like, look, he was born blind. I don't know what's happened. They're actually afraid because they know if they get on the wrong side of the Pharisees and they profess Christ, that they'll be kicked out of the synagogue. So they say he's of age, which means he's at least 13. Go and ask our son, deal with him. And so they sort of just, you know, they get scared. And so 
the Pharisees call the boy back and they say, tell us what happened. And so there's this thing that's building, this truth that's building in this story. And Charles Spurgeon puts it so clear when he says, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. The light of the world has come. What happens when light hits something? There's a reaction. All of us in this room, we've heard people say, you know, Jesus isn't about judgment. Jesus isn't about this stuff. He's about love. He's about these things. And we take uh, John 3 and we say, see, he said he didn't come to condemn. But in this story, Jesus says specifically at the end of the story, he says, uh, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. What is he talking about? He's saying there is something that happens when you come into approximation with the light. There is a division that takes place. There is a judgment that takes place. You're either drawn into it or you're cast into darkness. Now, I did not come to condemn, but for you to think that there's not a judgment that's made in the midst of who I am, you're not understanding who I am. I am truth. And everything turns at me, to me or against me. And what happens in this story is you see a young man who is blind. Jesus gives physical sight. And he says, this man named Jesus heals me. And then he goes on to say, this prophet named Jesus heals me. And the Pharisees start and they say, this man is not of God. And then the second time they talk to the young boy, they say, this man, Jesus, he's a sinner. In fact, praise God by saying he's a sinner. That's what they tell the young man to do. But not only does this, this picture get clearer, this revelation get clearer as this young man is drawn to the revelation, his spiritual eyes are open to Christ, but boldness comes. Because in the midst of standing in front of the most powerful people of the day, the most educated people of the day, this young man who is born blind does something that is radical, and I love it. Because after they say, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner, the boy says, whether he's a sinner, I do not know, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see, Pharisees. Do you not see what's going on here? See, at the beginning of 9, Jesus says, the reason this man was born blind was so that God's work would be displayed and God was displaying His work. And He was asking the Pharisees to respond and they were hardening their hearts against Him. And so not only does He say that, but He says, when they ask Him, how did you open your eyes again? He says, I told you already. Do you want to be His disciple too? There's a progression that's taking the place. This young man's like, He's going to be my master. Do you want to join me? And they get livid. It says they revile him. Saying, you're, a dis- you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But for this man, we don't know where he comes from. They have no idea who Christ is. And Christ says, you don't know Moses if you don't know me. In the same book of John. You don't understand, Pharisees. And this is where the young man's boldness, his courage, the revelation of who he's dealing with just comes to life because he says this is an amazing thing this young beggar says this to the most educated men of the day this is an amazing thing that you don't know where he comes from and yet he opens my eyes we know 
that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does this will, God listens to him. This man is bringing truth. Never since the world began has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin. You would teach us? Do you know who we are? And the whole time the boy's like, don't you know who he is? Don't you know who he is? It was just a little while ago that Jesus stood in front of the Pharisees in the synagogue and said, the Spirit of the Lord... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the good news. And what's one of the last things He says to them? He has sent me to give sight to the blind. Will you not hear? Will you not see what's happening? And they wouldn't. So they cast Him out. They cast this boy out. What it means to be cast out is... You're, you're excommunicated from synagogue. You're not even allowed to come in and worship God in the temple. It's a big deal because he professed Christ. And here's the picture. This is where the picture of the shepherd comes into play. Because the next verse in 36, it says, or in, in 35, it says, Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him, He went and he found his sheep. He said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that he might believe? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he you're speaking to. And the young man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. Now what we're going to see when we get into the story is that there's two responses when it comes to Christ. We have no place to call him a good teacher. He didn't leave us that royalty. He's either insane or he's God. And when we get to the end of 1020, the sad part is is that that's where the Pharisees land because they refuse to humble themselves to the truth. But this this is what everything rests on. You are Lord and I will worship you. So standing with that boy, that young man, he looks at all the Pharisees around and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you. And that is the context of 10. You just tracking with me? Here a boy had just been kicked out of the nation, which was supposed to bring in people from all people to know God. And this boy has just been excommunicated because God revealed himself and he professed God and they didn't want anything to do with it. And so Jesus makes a clear point starting in 10. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. The young man knew the voice of the one that told him to go. Think about this. If someone spits in the ground... And puts mud on your eyes and say, hey, go wash it off. I don't know if I would be so keen to be like, awesome. Thank you for putting mud on my eyeballs. 
But what a picture that is, you know? It's, and in, in the whole entire Bible, we have this picture of God being the potter and us being the clay. And what better picture of showing God's sovereignty and His Godhood but than making mud, making mud from the dirt and putting it on the clay and healing the crack. You know, such a beautiful picture. Anyways, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they do not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, them being who? The Pharisees he is speaking about in the midst of standing with this cast out boy. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now there are some illustrations in the Bible that really kind of hit home with us easier like when we think about that we're living stones, we're like, yeah, we're built on each other. You know, we're like bricks and it's manly and good. Or the bride of Christ, we can look at, man, Christ loves us the way that I love my wife, but like in the most perfect way. Craziness. But then we say, hey, let's talk about shepherds. And all of us are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? Right? Because how many of you have a flock at home? Anybody run like 200, 400, 3, 4, 5, 6? No? Okay. Just me, I guess. I guess. Just kidding. Uh, but there's something beautiful that's happening here. So to get us to that, let's talk about the context of what he's talking about. Just in historical terms. Because this isn't like this poetic illustration that he's trying to like think up all these grandiose things for them to like not understand. He's like, no, this is fact. This is what happens. There's a sheepfold. And what he's giving a picture of is in a village, there are shepherds. And rather than having these miniature little uh, sheepfolds or these pins for them to stay in, a lot of villages have these things called a sheepfold where they bring it to. And it's like a community uh, pen for all the sheep to go into. And a shepherd will come and he'll say hi to the gatekeeper and he'll bring his flock in and then he'll go home for the night and he sleeps. And then in the morning, he comes to the sheep pen and the gatekeeper looks at him, knows that he has ownership of a sheep, lets him in. The shepherd does a whistle or sometimes they have a flute and all of the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they just come out. I mean, we're talking about clusters of different sheep and all of them are like, yep, that's me. I'm out. See you guys tomorrow. Right? It's like a first century parking garage for sheep, right? By the way, when we were in Boston, downtown parking garage is like $28 for two hours. Kill me. Yeah. I wish I got some like cotton after that deal, but no. Uh, So that's what's happening here. And he's saying the good shepherd, the one who has ownership of the sheep comes to the door. But everybody else, they just start coming over the walls. They come and they have nothing good for the sheep. They're there for self-gain. They're there because they want something. And so what he's pointing a picture at, he doesn't say that he's a shepherd yet, but he does in a second. So I'm just going to just bear with me. He's a shepherd in this passage here. And what the sheepfold is, is Israel itself. It's Judaism. It's the nation that he set up. Remember when I did this, uh, the sermon on the chosen race, we talked about the establishment of Israel, that they were to be a nation set apart from all the other people. When the builders of the Tower of Babel said, let us make a name for ourselves, God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a nation so you can make my name great. 
You can draw people to the revelation of who I am. And they were given the land that flowed with milk and honey, not so that they could get fat and happy off of it, but that so that they could be the resource to all the world, and the world would come to know that Yahweh was the only God. That was the plan. But as we saw in the chosen race, when Jesus gets to the synagogue in Luke 11, what happens to him? They kick him out and try to throw him off a cliff. And here, what happens when Jesus heals a blind man, which is a very specific miracle that's pointing to the Messiah, and the Pharisees know this, what happens to that man who's been healed? He's done nothing but been healed. He's kicked out. And so what Jesus is saying is, Israel, this place, this nation that I have set apart to be my people has turned into its own empire. Judaism has become a sheepfold that doesn't only inhabit me. There's a bunch of sheep inside Judaism that aren't mine. Because notice he says, when he goes in, the shepherd, the sheep hear his voice and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. So he's making a distinction here. He's saying, you Pharisees are robbers and thieves. You came over the walls of the nation that I built so that you can make self-gain and glorify yourself. You've tried to become kings and that's not the point. And you've drawn people away from the truth. Now Judaism sets in his own empire and he says, my father has sent me to my people. I have claim for my people. I have the right. So I come to the door and I say, will you listen? I'm calling. And those who are truly my people are coming out of the fold like this young blind man and worshiping me because I am God. And that is super important for us to know today. Because where Jesus is saying not all Jews are are right with God, not all Jews are on a place of holiness and a place of right standing with God, not every person today that goes to church is in right standing with God. Just because we come into a building, we come into a pen, we come into a fold, doesn't mean that we're all sheep of Christ. Man, there's churches that are leading people astray. We've looked at the truth of God's word and, and instead of coming to Christ and saying, I will follow you, we've started to climb the walls of Christianity and try to say, no, no, listen to this. What you're doing is old school. That's, this book is 2,000 years old. You've got to be relevant. Get to the 21st century, people. Come on. And we've tried to change the truth. And in the midst of being within the fold, the only reason we're in the fold is because we're thieves of the fold. Because this fold, this church, this nation was set apart for God, and God's church is set apart for Him. And if we are not listening to our shepherd's voice, if we're not following when he calls us, then who are we within that fold? We're robbing God of leadership. We're robbing people of truth. Man, do you see that correlation? A lot of what Jesus is doing right here is he's, is he, his call is the fulfillment of wisdom's cry in Proverbs 1. This is what a sheepfold looks like, just so you know. This one is in Scotland, so they looked a little different in Israel, but I couldn't really find a picture online. Uh, But this is what Proverbs 1 says. It says, Wisdom calls out in the streets. 
She raises her voice in the public square. She cries above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gate. How long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and I will teach you my words. Jesus was walking around Jerusalem saying, will you listen? You are so stuck in your legalism and in your religiousness and your pride that you are missing the voice of your king. Will you listen? Wisdom cries aloud in the streets, listen! Man, we have to be there. There's so many voices. There's so many things that are trying to draw us away from the truth, steal us away. And in the context of the thieves and robbers, those are religious leaders. It's dangerous. Where is our truth coming from? Is it coming from emotion? Is it coming from, well, I just feel like? Or is it coming from God's word, which is truth? Christ is not about tolerance. He's not about intolerance. He's not about politics. He's about truth. So, that's what he's doing. And he wanted the Pharisees to know that. Look, you guys. What happened right here is a picture, a small picture of what I'm doing. This encounter with me healing this man is a small picture of a greater thing that I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm gathering my flock And what distinguishes my people is that when they hear my voice, they respond and they follow me. They don't get stuck in these things. They don't listen, right? Like it said, they don't listen to strangers. They don't know the voice of strangers. Who have you substituted for God's voice in your life? Who have you let climb the walls of your heart? and steal you away from the truth of the gospel. This is a serious thing because there's only two outcomes of coming to Christ. We're either drawn into light or we're cast into darkness. We either worship Him or we call Him insane. There is no in between with Christ. He does not allow that. So, if this is the what, I'm gathering a flock, the next portion of verse would be the why. And this is beautiful. Verse 7 says, they didn't get this picture, so he says it to them in another light. And this isn't the build-up of the first six verses. This is just another picture of, of shepherding. Okay? So we can't like go, okay, he's continuing, he's a shepherd, now he's a door. Like, what are we doing here? There's different, he's giving three different pictures of what it means to be a shepherd. So this stands alone in a lot of ways, but he still is a shepherd here, and I'll show you how. So he says to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Notice, we don't listen to thieves and robbers. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal kill and destroy but i have come why that they might have life and have it abundantly what is he doing he's gathering a flock why is he doing it to extend to you abundant life it's not found in this world so how is this a picture he just said he's a door how is this a picture of a shepherd still because in the first six verses we're in we're in the context of a village 
We're in a sheepfold where all these people are bringing sheep and we're in the big pen. But now Jesus switches it to a pasture. Because a lot of times shepherds don't come home when they're out in the fields. They find a refuge. Sometimes they make uh, just small stone walls to keep the flock together. Or they'll put like bushes or brambles together with thorns. And then they'll lay in the doorway where the door is. So that if anything comes in the middle of the night... It has to walk over them to get to the flock. So for him to say, I am the door, he's still saying, I'm the shepherd. Does that make sense? He's the protection. He's the safeguard of his flock. But he goes one step further because not only is he the door at night that protects the flock, but he's the passageway in which they come in and out of green pastures. So he is the passageway himself. There is one way to eternal life. There is not... Whatever you want, it's your religion. There is one way, and that is Christ. He is the door to life. He is the protection, and He is the pasture. Amen. One of the, one of the ways I've seen thieves and robbers come in in the context of trying to change this culture is we'd love to just, just change things just a little bit to, to just grab hold of people and say, man, you're really going to love this, so come with me. We have this huge prosperity gospel movement that's going around saying, you know, God wants you to be wealthy and rich and own a Maserati and have thousands of dollars in the bank. It says, Jesus says, they're going to hate you. If they hated me, the world is going to hate you. Persecution is not an option. It's reality. This young man did not not lose his home, right? He confesses Christ. He is the Lord. And what happens? He's kicked out of everything he knows. What is the only thing he's left with? Jesus hears and he finds him. Abundance of life has nothing to do with physical possessions. It has everything to do with the presence of a shepherd. Think about this in the context of a sheep. If I'm a sheep, What is fullness of life? What's abundance of life if I'm a sheep? It's uh, coming in for shelter, going out into pasture, eating a lot of grass, getting fat and happy, being trim, being taken care of. What is all of that rest in? It's not the grass. It's not even the shelter. It's the shepherd. He's the one that protects. He's the one that gives life. He says, I came. I came that they might have life abundantly. I came. Abundant life is not earthly possession. It's the shepherd himself. One of the clearest pictures I've seen this in the Word, and I just love it, is David when he says, Psalm 63, he says, and this is a manly man. This is like a dude, okay? This, this guy killed bears and lions and a giant. But listen to the words he has for his king. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. What is better than life? What is abundant life? His steadfast love. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth 
will praise you with joyful lips. What is the fat and rich food? A sheep has grass that makes them fat and rich. What makes us fat and rich? The food that comes only from the bread of life, who is Christ Himself. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. Why did Jesus come? He came to gather a flock, but why? To bring people into abundant life. What does that mean? That the world might hear the shepherd's voice and be drawn into relationship with him. Drawn out of religion, drawn into relationship. How important that is for us to grasp today. There's so many things in this world that loves to be a substitute. To say, just just come to me and I'll fill you up. Come to me and I'll fill you up. And in the context of this, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. This is not the devil here. If we're going to say in direct context, that's other religious leaders, other sects of thought, other things that are coming up. The, the up-and-coming rave of the day. The 21st century theology. That is what is coming to kill you. That is the thief. That is not wisdom. That is death. Wisdom comes when we listen and respond to our shepherd's voice. We know our shepherd and he knows us. So, if this is the why, he's come to give us abundant life. G.A. Carson writes, The world seeks, still seeks its humanistic political saviors, its Hitlers, its Stalins, its Pol Pots. And only too late does it learn that they blatantly confiscate personal property, ruthlessly trample human life underfoot, and contemptuously savage all that is valuable. Jesus is right. It is not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is a myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. This world will fail you and fall away, but Christ remains. And how do we know He remains? How do we know that this is true? How do we know that He actually cares because of what He says next? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own his sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves his sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own account. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received by my Father. Now let me just fill in a verse that I left out there because I meant to say it in the first one. If the sheepfold that he's talking about in 1 through 6 is uh, Judaism, then where do we stand in it? And it's verse 16. I put it in the first slide, but I forgot to say it. Uh, Right here it says, in 16, I have other sheep that are not, not of this fold. That's me. 
And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. Just like we talked about in the chosen race, God is bringing the Jews and the Gentiles to make one building. When we stack upon each other as living stones, we reveal the face of God. So that's good news for us. But what is he talking about here? Now the first verse really has nothing to do with... Uh, what he's planning on doing, it's just another fact. If we look at culture, if you are a shepherd and you are in charge of sheep, if you go out to a field, if you are David, you go out to a field with your sheep, if a bear comes, you will fight the bear. Why? Because you have claim on your sheep. You own your sheep. You love your sheep. You will die for your sheep. And that's what he's saying. A good shepherd dies, will lay down his life for his sheep. All of them knew this. Right? If you own a flock, you're not just going to be like, well, see you guys. It's your livelihood. It's everything that you are is tied up in those sheep. And then he contrasts that to hired help. You hire some guy. When uh, The last uh, month and a half we've been going through, on Tuesdays we have a pastor's meeting, which is awesome. We pray together. We have vision together. We live life together. We pray for you guys. It's great. And we've been going through a book that's all about shepherds, like actual shepherds, like going to Israel. There's a guy named Dr. Laniac that moved there for a couple of years, and he documented what it was like to live with these shepherds and live with these sheep. And there's pictures, and it's just so awesome. And he told this one story in his book about this shepherd that he was hanging out with who hired uh, some help because that's a normal thing to do. you got a flock of 2,000. You might need some help. And a lightning storm came. And the hired help fled. Why? Because he cared more for his life than the sheep. If it's me or the sheep, I'm, you know, it's me. And he was so afraid about losing his life because he knew what he had done. They found him hiding in a back closet because they thought they were, he thought they were going to kill him. Literally. Because you don't do that with a flock, right? So what Jesus is saying here. They don't have any stake on you. They're hired. But then he goes one step further. And this, you need to grasp this. Because he's saying, what he says here, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down. Is he's not just saying, yeah, I'm like David who goes out into a field and says, if a lion comes, I'll fight the lion so that you know I have claim of my sheep. He says, no. I go out to the field to call the lion to kill me because I have claim on my sheep. I give my life for my sheep. How do you know I'll come through? How do we know that we can trust? Because Jesus isn't one that just goes around and says, well, if I have to, I'll die for you. He says, no, that's the, that was the plan all along that I would come to be killed for you. You think David loves his flock? You think these shepherds love their flock because they're willing to fight? I call death. I call sin. And I say, kill me. That's how much I love you. That's how much I'm connected to you. And to make this even clearer, he says something that just rocked my world this week. He says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Literally, Jesus says, I am as bound to my sheep as I am as bound 
to the Trinity. I am as bound to the people that hear and respond to my voice, connected intimately, cannot be separated from, as much as I am bound to my Father in heaven, who we lived in perfect unity before the foundations of the earth. We lacked nothing. That's the relationship He makes. And think about this. It totally makes sense when we think about communion. Because what does He ask us to do? Take the body, take the blood. Why? Because we are bound together. My body is your body. My blood is your blood. In John 6, He says, If you want to be my disciple, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, whoa. But that's the picture he's talking about. He's like, I'm not just a good person. I'm not just one that will just show up sometimes. How many of you feel like, man, I don't know if God is there sometimes. I know I have. But when I read this word this week, I was like, God, show me in my darkest moments how bound you are to me. Lead me to the truth of your love. He will never leave you. He cannot forsake you. Because he's claimed you with his life. And he's asking us to respond. And through all of this, the Pharisees are freaking out. Right? This man's, he's not a prophet. He, He didn't, we don't even know what happened with the healing thing. And then he says something that uh, really puts him over the edge. If they're teetering now, he's made the divide completely clear. I give my life, yes. Everybody has ownership to, to give your life. You have authority to lay your life down. If somebody tries to shoot my wife, I have authority to jump in front of her and die for my wife. Some of us take that a little too soon. We can end our own life, but that's where it stops. What Jesus says here. If you don't hear the words that he's saying as God, you will call him insane. Because he says, I give my life. But I give it and I take it back. Nobody does that. Nobody says that. No human being says that. There's a guy in Acts that said he was a false prophet and his numbers grew to 400. And when he died, all of it dissolved. And Jesus is like, no, no. Dying is the point, but dying is not the end. I'm coming back. Why? We see the Father's love in this so clear because He says, because this charge I have received from my Father, that I would die for my sheep. But what happens when sheep don't have a shepherd? The sheep die. When you're out in the pasture and the wolves and the bears and the lions come, you got no shepherd. The sheep die. And God knew this. So He said, son, you're going to go and you're going to die, but you're going to come right back because they need you. We will not leave you without a shepherd. Christ did not leave us without a shepherd. He is the chief shepherd of this church. He is the chief shepherd of this world. For every person that calls on His name, they will be saved. Because He is alive today. What is He doing? He's gathering a flock. Why? To draw us into abundance of life. How do we know? Because he claims it with his life. And he's as bound to you as he is bound to his father. This is the last public teaching that Jesus gives in the Gospels. 
There's private ones where he's with his disciples. This is the last public one. And it's almost like a capstone to all of the other things he says. He says, I am the shepherd. And in John 12, 32, he says something which clarifies what he said all the way back in John 10, 1, where he says, when I am lifted up from this earth, when I am nailed to this cross, when I am lifted up from this earth, I will draw all men to myself. All men that hear the truth of the gospel will respond we have been given this word. This is not a 2,000-year-old manuscript that's outdated. This is the revelation of God. And he says, when I am lifted up from this earth, all men will draw to me. How will they be drawn to me when we proclaim the truth of the gospel? And in a culture that becomes so relative, where everything is just promiscuous, everything is just permissible, everything is just whatever you want... We need to have a shepherd's voice that guides us through the muck and the noise. The thing that this verse from 9 all the way to 10.21, for me, what it sums up to is that Jesus requires a response. This is where the Pharisees left. There was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? C.S. Lewis says, Either Jesus is crazy, like I'm a poached egg crazy, he's the devil, or he's God. He does not leave us any room to negotiate past that. He's not just a good teacher that said good things. If what he said isn't truth, then he's crazy. Why? Because only God would say what he says. He requires a response. And for us today as a church, what does that mean to be his flock? What does that mean to listen to His voice. I think it has a lot more to do with just, okay, you got your relationship with Christ and now just listen to Him and do what He says because as a flock, we stand together. And the truth is is that a lot of us live like this. You see about four feet in front of you and then you just see a bunch of butts. (laughs) Dr. Laniac was telling one of his stories in the videos that we were watching when we were in a pastor's meeting on Tuesday. And he talked about a story where he was in a, he was on a hillside drinking tea in a tent with this shepherd. And he said, they looked out of the tent and there was one sheep that just deviated from the flock. And he said, what happened was insane because all of the sheep started following him. All of them did. And, you know, maybe the first 10 knew where they were going. But past that, if you're this low and all you see in front of you is a bunch of butts and dust you're just like well i guess we're just moving so they go 1500 of them jumped off a cliff this really happened 1500 sheep because one went astray now the funny thing laniac said was that 
about 700 of them died, and then the rest just fell in a big pile of cotton and literally lived. That's true. But what does that mean as his flock that we listen to his voice? It means that we listen to his voice and the people around us are not drawing us and deviate, deviating us around away from the shepherd and we aren't in the midst of the flock deviating people away from the, his voice either. If we're in the pen, the sheepfold of Christianity, and we're not drawing people to the voice of God, to the truth of Christ to the truth of the gospel, then who are we in this analogy? We're thieves and robbers of God's glory and His truth. And we're leading people away from abundant life and green pastures and protection. And we're leading them off a cliff. This is not about cultural relativism. This is about life and death. we got to get this as a church. I mean, when you think about your relationship with Christ, do you hear His voice? Do you know this word? Do you know who He is? And are you listening? Are you following Him? Or are you going about your Christianity just on how you feel? Well, you know, today I just feel like this is right, so I'm doing it. Because who we are, we're leading people to death. It is not loving to support sin. It's loving to support people. And the most loving way we can support people is to draw them into the truth of life. That is love. Every place else, outside the passageway, the shepherd, the gate, is death. How will we respond? Alex, you want to come up? Man, I've been so convicted this week. If you think that I'm preaching from a place of standing above you guys, the only thing why I'm standing above you is because I'm on a stage. But I feel so low in my heart. There are so many times where I have listened to myself. I have listened to thieves and robbers of my soul. I've tried to satisfy myself with what this world has to have, what this world has to offer, and it leads to nothing. And Christ did not come to be a moral teacher. He came to draw people into life. And this morning, I just wanted to say one last thing to you. In Isaiah 40, 53, 6, it says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path and followed our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He's claimed you with his blood. Will you respond? There's one phrase in the New Testament that I've been hearing over and over and over in my mind for the last month. And I didn't even know that I was going to preach on this, but it's completely applicable to this. And it's what Jesus says through the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Do not be satisfied for the you've heard it said. Do not be satisfied for what cultural says is right. 
Do not be satisfied with the latest trends of society. Do not be satisfied with deviating from this. Because this is life. You have heard it said that this world will satisfy your soul. That you can do anything you want. You can be your own God. You can build up your kingdom. That your stuff can satisfy you. But I tell you that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through it. He did not come to condemn. But there is a judgment that takes place when the light of the world comes. There is a division. And He's asking you to respond. You have thirsted. We have all thirsted. Some of us feel like if I just get enough stuff, if I just live in a warmer climate, if I just do these things that I won't thirst anymore. But I tell you, whoever drinks of the water that I give, that Christ gives, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And you've heard that, man, if I store up my house full of stuff, if I just eat really expensive food, or go paleo for a month and be hipster, then my life will be good. But I tell you, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus tells you that he is the light of the world, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but have light of life. In John 9, he tells you that for judgment, he came into the world to give sight to the blind. But if your pride gets in the way, and you don't submit to him in worship, then you will be blinded. And he tells you that. There is only darkness outside of this light. In John 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and will go out and find pasture. And the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he has come into your life many times before. But I have come, Christ has come, that you might have life abundantly, abundant life that is satisfied in the presence of a shepherd. Would you guys stand with me? hope you heard him today. I hope you just felt like this tug. It's not me. Christ's voice is going out. The shepherd is calling and he's saying, will you respond? Wisdom is crying aloud in the streets. Will you walk away from your foolishness? Find satisfaction in life. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, that no matter what happens in this culture, no matter what rules or laws or things people place on this earth, that your kingdom is not of this world and it goes beyond this world and that it will last forever and this world will fade away. God, we are part of a fold that is eternal. Let that be rooted into us. Help us to know you. You say that my sheep know my voice. Teach us what it means to listen, God. Teach us what it means to follow. 
Let us not lead people astray. Let us not fall into the fold of culture. Let us follow our shepherd's voice into life. Invite anybody that wants to come up for prayer. We're going to have people up here for prayer. If you want to just make a confession of faith and say, I'm ready to follow my shepherd's voice. I'm ready. I'm done. I'm done with what this world has. I just invite you to come forward and pray with some of the people that will be up here. And uh, I hope you guys have an awesome week. It's supposed to be 80 degrees this week. Good stuff.